If you found your place there in Philippians chapter 1, I want to look at verses 3 through 6. And I have stole my title right out of the text. It is the fellowship of the gospel. Let's begin reading in verse 3. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making request with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. As I look at this text, I believe this is the answer to the problems that we're seeing in evangelizing America today. As I look at this text, I see it as being the answer to the condition of our churches and our missionary efforts around the world. As I look at this text, I want to emphasize three points from these four verses. The first one is cause for rejoicing. Cause for rejoicing. What is it that makes Paul say these words right here? I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making request with joy. How many times can you count or do you remember praying a prayer of joy this week? Many times when we pray, it's, Oh God, help me. Oh God, I need. Oh God, give. Oh God, provide. Oh God, help. How many times do we just say, Thank God. Thank God. Thank God. How many times do we joyfully pray? How many times do we give a prayer of joy? I found myself for a number of years in a famine of prayer. I just didn't pray unless I needed something. That's all right, God, I got it. We're doing fine. Lord, I need your help now. Sometimes it got to the point where I was like, it's like I always need you. And he said, son, that's what I'm trying to tell you. Then something happened. There was a transition I found myself on Sunday morning not just praying for the ability to preach and live an example as a Christian pastor, but I would begin to pray and then I would say, Father, I thank you for my good friend Derek Melton up at Grace Life Church in Pryor, Oklahoma. And Lord, I pray that you'd bless Grace Life and that you'd give Derek the ability to preach. And Father, I thank you for Eddie Ragsdale at First Baptist Marshall and that you'd give him the ability to preach, that you'd... You'd bless Alan and that you'd bless... And I just started going over and all these names and I'm just sitting here praying and I'm having a good time in prayer. I'm having a great little worship service. Me and the Lord, 5 o'clock on a Sunday morning. I'm not like you smart men. i got to get my sermon at the last minute. And I found my... I prayed away 30 minutes of sermon. Uh, Note-taking time. I, but it was a joyful sermon. What is it that makes Paul, when he's praying, go, Oh, in Philippi, wow. Lord, I pray you'd bless the church at Philippi. I pray you'd give their pastor clarity of thought this morning, loosen his tongue that he may declare the great counsels of our God. What is it that when Paul thinks of Philippi, he gets a smile on his face? Is there anybody in your church that pops into your mind that doesn't give you a smile across your face? You no need to testify out loud, brethren. Just keep that to yourself. What is it about Paul that he says, Philippi, 
Thank God. Thank God for you. I'll tell you what he's calls for rejoicing is. It is the gospel is preached. The gospel is preached. I bet many of you last night before you went to bed prayed a prayer of joy, didn't you? I ask you how many times you've prayed that in the last week. I bet last night if you bowed your head and you prayed before you went to sleep, you said something along these lines. I'm no prophet nor mind reader, but you said, Lord, I thank you for the sermons we've heard yesterday, the gospel that was preached. Last night I emphasized where these preachers that you've heard have came from, these little towns like Bowlegs and Bloomer and Barrel, a suburb of Valonia. The gospel's preached in those towns. And you thank the Lord for that. I'm here to tell you our cause for rejoicing is in the gospel. I knew what Alan was going to preach. That's why I didn't care how long he was going to preach. It's not because I, I wanted Ronnie to just preach 40 minutes and told Joseph 40 minutes. The reason I preach last is because on the last day, all your eyes look like a glazed donut. Your back hurts. Your bladder's quivering because you've been going through services for three straight days. You've ate some of the most high glucose food you've probably had in weeks. Your arteries are in granny gear low, pumping, trying to digest all that chicken grease. And I wouldn't preach my best friend right here. It's a hard crowd to preach to. Especially if you were to walk up and say, hey, trim 15 minutes off that. I wouldn't expect you to do that, brethren. But I'm doing that. And I'm doing that and I'm rejoicing because we've heard seven great sermons, have we not? If I completely bomb and fizzle out and old Harold preaches a dud on the last message, the gospel has been preached. I have cause for rejoicing. I can go home happy and say, Lord, I screwed it up, but boy, weren't they good. Hallelujah. A prayer of joy. Cause of rejoicing. That's my little introduction point. Let's get to the heart of the message. What is the criteria for the relationship? Point number two, criteria for the relationship. Verse five, for your fellowship... In the gospel from the first day until now. I want to pause my sermon for just a moment and pray. Lord, I know what needs to be said. I know what your word says. I know what the need of our churches is. But Father, my fear is not what your word says or what we need to hear. My fear, Father is my delivery. I'm praying now, Lord, that you'd help me to deliver it and that it would be heard with the intention of my heart. That I wouldn't come across as an expert or a disgruntled person or somebody that points out the flaws of others. But Lord, I pray that you'd let these men hear what I'm about to say from a heart of love, from a heart of concern, Lord, for a great desire to see you glorified in your churches. God, I pray you'd help them to receive it, help me to deliver it in that spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. 
the criteria for the relationship. Paul's relationship was built around the gospel. Paul's relationship with the church at Philippi was built around the gospel. The fellowship was the gospel. Paul's standard of fellowship is the gospel. Friend, we're living in a day where our standard of fellowship is no longer the gospel. We're living in a day where churches, even good churches, godly pastors, Bible preachers who preach a biblical gospel have an unbiblical standard of fellowship with other churches. This standard of fellowship can be a number of things. But it must be the gospel to be biblical. Now before we go any further, let me just say something. I think a church ought to be a part of a denomination. You ought to have some kind of qualifier. I just don't like churches that say Journey Church, Edge, Ridgeview. For crying out loud, who are you? This ain't Lee Creek Church. This is Lee Creek Baptist Church. You ought to know before you walk in the door what you're going to get from the pulpit. I'm okay with denominations. Every church shouldn't be shy of that. Well, if we tell them up front, what are you afraid of? Did we not hear a message about being ashamed of the gospel? We're crying out loud, tell them who you are. I think every church ought to have a doctrinal statement. We can't have real fellowship in this body of believers unless we're all playing on the same sheet music here. Every church ought to have some standards about what they believe from Scripture. Articulated, laid out when someone comes in. No ma'am, you're not preaching here. This is what we believe. Joel Osteen holds his Bible up and says, This is my Bible. It is what... Yeah, it is. You're a false prophet. It says you are. It's not the Bible that we believe, brethren. It's what we believe about the Bible. People are twisting these Scriptures like crazy. Every church ought to have a doctrinal statement written out that says, here's a summary of what we believe. It's some rails to keep false teachers from dragging us one way or the other. We ought to mark those that cause division contrary to the doctrine which we've learned and avoid such. Romans 16. We ought to have some doctrinal standards. But brethren, I challenge you. You show me in Scripture where your doctrinal statement is the standard for who you fellowship with. You show me in Scripture where your denomination is who you fellowship with. Your church should have this. You should be a part of some group. I love it when people say, well, we're independent. Well, okay, you're a part of the independence. If you're putting IFB in big letters on the front, you're not that independent nor original. Our standard of fellowship is not a denomination. How many churches fellowship? I think it's 42,000 in the Southern Baptist Convention. And their standard of fellowship is that they all give to the cooperative program and adhere to the Baptist Faith and Message 2000. Well, we see what's happening in the convention, and I'm not here to beat up you guys in the convention, but the world is watching, and we saw what happened. 
and you're embarrassed and you ought to be embarrassed. You ought to be embarrassed that you made your standard of fellowship a group of letters that you all adhere to, SBC. That's not in the Bible. Your standard of fellowship is the gospel. And what you're dealing with is the fruit on that tree. You're dealing with the fruit of pragmatism. You're dealing with, well, we're over here battling for, against women preachers and we're battling against these seminaries going liberal and we're battling against woke theology. Back up, brethren. You're battling a weak, watered-down, unbiblical gospel that's being proclaimed in about 40,000 of your 42,000 churches. You're telling me Rick Warren's preaching the gospel? That purpose-driven junk should have been burned on your church lawn when it came out. You're over here arguing over the fruit. Get that axe and get down to the root. The gospel ain't being preached in 42,000 Southern Baptist churches or you'd have 15 million Christians in your group. I know there's Southern Baptists in here. rest of you wait your turn. BMA boys back here smiling, we're BMA. We're BMA. You BMA guys, just wait, watch, and see what happens. I've been pastoring, interim pastor of a BMA church. Not everybody I've encountered has preached a biblical gospel. Well, how can you say such a thing? I walked into a BMA church full of people, many of them unsaved, Roles the people that were baptized not to be found. It looks no different than the Southern Baptist Convention. You're just smaller and in the corner and it hadn't crept all the way through yet. Your standard of fellowship is not the BMA. Your headquarters is not Conway. If your headquarters is not heaven and on the earth the local church, you've missed it. Well, we're the ABA. With the old time. Brethren, the ABA ain't preaching the gospel. Rod Holt preaches the gospel. He's ABA. Rod, you're in here. You preach the gospel. But Rod will tell you most of the people in his group ain't preaching the biblical gospel. We've watered that gospel down to something you simply bow your head and repeat and raise your hand and you got it. I like it now. We've ruled out the low-hanging fruit, the SBC, the BMA, and the ABA. But what about this? Well, we're 1689, Second London Confession. We, we are confessional people. You're arguing about a dead theologian as to whether you should interpret Scripture like him or not. You're failing to cooperate with other brothers who also agree on a statement of faith that looks like a pamphlet and you have all these doctrinal rules, and when you get down to the end, you've got this camp and that camp and this camp and that camp, and all you guys with your 1689 can't get together because you've missed it. It's the gospel. It ain't the 1689. I'd burn that book if that was the standard. You say, well, you don't like the 1689? Oh, our church here at Lee Creek, where I'm a member, adheres to the Philadelphia Confession. You know what I heard last week? Well, you can't trust the Philadelphia Confession. That's a 1689 with two chapters added. Yes. That's also what every Baptist church in America believed at one point in time. Where'd you come from, Renaissance man? 
You act like because we have a chapter on the laying on of hands and the singing of hymns, we're somehow beneath your standard. Your standard's wrong. It's wrong. Well, we we have the softer, milder New Hampshire confession. Just keep getting soft and mild and get you a Baptist faith and message. Brethren, it's not a doctrinal statement. It's not a denomination. I'm being pointed and I'm talking to my friends in a stern manner. But it's the only way I know to get through it. You say, well, Brother Harold, you, you just grabbed you a little verse, that one little phrase, fellowship of the gospel. You've really taken that and ran with it. I think you've kind of, you're not expositionally preaching here. You just took a topic and a text and now you're taking a fit. Our standard of fellowship with other churches is the gospel, and I'll prove it from the Bible. How many of you would like to go on a church planning mission, maybe a mission trip of some kind, with a church where at the last Lord's Supper meeting, half the people got drunk, somehow on Welch's grape juice? How many of you would like to go on a mission trip with a church where at the last Lord's Supper... The rich people ate all the food and the poor people who hadn't had a meal all day didn't even have a piece of unleavened bread to partake of the Lord's Supper with. How many of you would like to go on a mission trip with that church? Oh, guess what else happens in that church? There's a guy there and you're you're in the church bus and you're riding off to your mission trip and you're in there and this guy says, you ain't going to believe this. We got a guy in Sunday school. His, his dad and mom divorced, and he's now sleeping with his stepmom. Ain't that cool? Ain't that nuance? And you're going, your church is screwed up. Who in the right mind would go on a mission trip with a church at Corinth? Paul. And not just Paul. Y'all take up the offering before I get there because when I come, I'm coming from the region of Galatia and Macedonia and they'll be coming with me and I don't want to take up the offerings while we're there and whoever you appoint by your letters, they can travel with us to Jerusalem to carry your mission offering. Quit reading your books and read this book. Quit listening to your denomination and look at this one. It's the gospel. Paul was willing to work with Corinth, the most messed up church I've ever seen, and he's planning mission trips with them. Why isn't Paul, when he writes to Philippi, why doesn't he say, you watch them boys over at Corinth and have nothing to do with them until they get this thing in chapter 5 straightened out. Till they get chapter 11 fixed, you don't have nothing to do with them. They're on the do not fellowship list. No, and it's not just Paul. It's real easy to say, well, you know, Paul's writings are hard to understand. We've heard that from Scripture, haven't we? Even the Methodists said, I don't really think Paul should be in the book. Well, let's go look at some red letter verses. How about that? I'm looking at Jesus here talking to those churches. Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3, the seven churches, one of those churches tolerated that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is not. 
You got a problem with women preachers? Somebody back then did too. Interestingly enough, Jesus does not say until they get rid of Jezebel, no fellowships. Until they get rid of Jezebel, you keep your distance. There was also a group that tolerated the Nicolaitans, which Jesus said he hated. He didn't say, look, if anybody's running with the Nicolaitans, have nothing to do with them. You see, the standards of fellowship that you're trying to apply to other churches should really be applied to the members in your church. What Jesus is saying to the seven churches of Revelation is in your church, get rid of Jezebel. In your church, kick out the Nicolaitans. But church over here, you don't have to look exactly like church over here. Say, well, brother, hell, I just don't know about that. Your unbiblical separation should not be based on the fruit on the tree. It should be based on the roots in the ground. It is the gospel. It is the standard of fellowship. When you get to the very last church, it is the church at Laodicea. And Jesus offers fellowship to who? Any that opened the door and let him in. The standard is still the gospel. It's always the gospel. I hate to break your heart, but I do not think the churches in Galatia are 1689 compliant. Do you really think churches of Galatia are 1689 compliant when they're advocating for circumcision? Do you really think when they're engrossed in legalism that we should be uniting with them? Yet Paul writes one letter to an entire region and expects those churches to circulate this one letter from church to church to church all around the region of Galatia. He's expecting, even though in these churches there are problems, he's still expecting them to work together. Say, Brother Hell, I just don't like what you're saying. I don't care. Alan said I'm supposed to say it anyways. Y'all amen that. Now that you're hearing it, yeah. You've been real nice to us, feeding us all that chicken, and now at the end we get this. This is the problem, men. I'm not saying all of you have this problem, but if you look across the Christian landscape, this is the problem. You say, well, Brother Harold, if, if they do that, if, if you just say it's the gospel and that's the standard, I didn't say it's the gospel's the standard for your church. Have you a good confession? Adhere to it. Kick people out that won't adhere to it. But don't expect every church to be a cookie cutter of yours. Well, if we do that, Brother Harold, everything will fall apart. Oh, like it's great now, huh? We're so solid and conquering the world for Christ as is. My biblical idea is out of fashion. I want you to look at verse 6 and look at his confidence in their resilience. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Well, if it's just the gospel and we don't have any other boundaries for who we work with, they'll eventually fall away. 
How many of those seven churches in Asia are still operating today? They fell away, didn't they? Was it because they didn't fellowship or was it because in the church they failed to practice doctrine? Pastor, I'm here to tell you, your ability to enforce doctrinal adherence ends at the front door of your church. It's not your job. We're Baptists. We believe in independence and autonomy, right? It's not your job to enforce doctrinal standards in other people's churches. It's your job to ensure that they're here. Well, Brother Harold, who should we work with? Those that preach the same gospel as us. It's like, why? It can't be that simple. Look at Together for the Gospel. They went liberal and that was their whole premise. Did you go liberal with them? I can't ensure that other churches won't go liberal, won't go woke. That's never been my responsibility. My responsibility was to ensure that while I was pastor of Lee Creek, they didn't go woke. Now my responsibility as interim pastor at West Park is to ensure they don't go woke. But friend, if I spend all my time going, they're suspect, they're teetering, watch out over here, you don't know what's going on in that church. Let me tell you something. The only churches you're working with are the ones you fully don't know what's going on inside. Because if you knew what was happening in all these other churches and all the little problems that they have, you'd be like, we're not fellowshipping with anybody. It's just us. We are the only holy ones. But the standard of fellowship is the gospel. Well, Brother Harold, how can we know who's preaching the gospel? Exhibit A, I can work with Second Baptist Church in Perryville. I heard that pastor preach the gospel. I can work with Lee Creek Baptist Church in Van Buren. I heard that pastor preach the gospel. I can work with, with the Indian Mission Baptist Church in Smithville. He preached the gospel. Bowlegs preaches the gospel. Bloomer preaches the gospel. Brandon's headed back to North Carolina to preach the gospel tomorrow. I can work with Barrel Wade preaching the gospel. I can go back and look all the way back at, at, at Preachers of Grace sermons for years. Preaches the gospel, preaches the gospel, preaches the gospel, preaches the gospel. If they fall apart, that's none of my business. My job's to help them while they're together. I don't want you to sit up here and think I'm pointing fingers at people and not practicing what I preached. Very early in my ministry, I realized I was not a Southern Baptist. Oh, well, I was a Baptist, all right, but, and I was Southern, all right, but I wasn't the two together. And I left there, and you know what? I said, man, i got to go find me another group. Man shouldn't be alone. So, man, I, I hopped in my car and loaded up my wife, and we took a week off, and we went out to Murfreesboro, Tennessee. I was going to find the sword of the Lord. Them boys is old-timey. They got Charles Spurgeon in their newspaper. I'm going to sword of the Lord. I spent a weekend out there with them wackos, and I'm like, this ain't my group. This ain't my group. These boys ain't old Tommy. This is hokey. So I wasn't in the Southern Baptist. I wasn't in the IFB. I said, you know what? I'm reformed. So I loaded up one day, and I drove to Mobile, Alabama. When Stephen Lawson was a pastor in Mobile, I drove down there to hear him and R.C. Sproul. And I thought, yeah, here's my group. These are my guys. And then the 
elders out there ridiculing every Baptist that let his congregation make a decision. And I ended up in an argument in a circle of preachers with an elder from Lawson's church and telling him if your congregation's regenerate, you don't have to teach them like Presbyterians. They can make decisions. And I realized in the shade of the back of Christ Redeemer Fellowship Church in Mobile, Alabama, I am not a Reformed Baptist. My standard of fellowship is not that you have a plurality of elders in your church. And I drove home as lonely as when I went out to Murfreesboro, as lonely as when I left the Southern Baptist Convention. And I came back and I found a, a loose group called the Discernment Ministry. And I'm quick-witted and I like to point fingers. I said, I have found a home. I can point out flaws better than anybody. I can figure out what's wrong with you, but I can't figure out what's wrong with me. And I realized real quick, this ain't for me. Man doesn't have a ministry of pointing out what's wrong with others. And I wept for a long time. And you know what I realized? I didn't need a group. I had one. It was the gospel. It was the gospel. I've modeled this in my missions at Lee Creek. If you look at the missions that we've supported in the past, and Joseph will change that up as he plugs in the missions that he wants to plug in there and the church approves. You'll find missionaries on that list that believe the King James Version is the only version you should read from. Brother Harold, you support that. They preach the gospel. You'll find guys on there that, that affirm the 1689 London Baptist Confession and they require everybody in their church to confess it as well and we send them money and say hallelujah in our missions they preach the gospel. We find people on there that say I'm only supported by a local church. Hallelujah, they preach the gospel. We send money to people who are supported by a mission board and a multitude of churches. Hallelujah, they preach the gospel. We send money on there to Grace Bible Theological Seminary in Conway. We funded them when they were meeting in the Faulkner County Library. And then we fund people who are in seminary at IRBS in Mansfield, Texas. And they're on opposite sides of that Aquinas debate. Well, Brother Harold, we need to decide who's right about this. No, we need to decide if both parties are preaching the gospel. Are they? Yes, that's the standard. Send, keep sending money. We've modeled it in our missions giving. We've sent it to people who had all sorts of criteria, all sorts of different beliefs, had a plurality of elders, had one pastor, had deacons that made decisions, had no deacons at all. Listen, friends, I'm not worried about any of that. If the Holy Spirit of God dwells in those people, they can rightly govern themselves and they can be wrong about a few things. But if I'm just supporting the people that are cookie cutters like me, we're going to be as out of date as the Amish in a few years. We've modeled this not only in our missions, but in our meetings. This is the tenth year that we've hosted this conference. The reason we host it is because this pastor is an oddball. And I don't fit in any of your groups. 
but my standard of fellowship has not been the SBC, the BMA, the ABA, the Reformed Baptist, the Independent Baptist, the King James only, or even Presbyterians. We had one of them and he went woke and left. His wokeness was the fruit of a bad gospel that he was embracing. The standard is the gospel. So I've modeled it as a pastor in missions. I've modeled it as a missionary and a pastor in my meeting. And now, and lastly, I'm modeling it in my own ministry. My support, people support me in the ministry, comes from some of the strangest places you'd ever imagine. My service is to any church that wants a gospel preacher. I'm serving a BMA church. You know what people in the BMA say? Well, you ought to join the BMA. We'd support you. You know what the Southern Baptists say? We'd love to support you, but we're Southern Baptist. How about this? How about the life that I've been living? How about the biblical standard of the fellowship of the gospel? It's sufficient. I love you guys in the BMA. I love you guys in the SBC. I love you King James only guys. I love you Reformed Baptists. I love you 1689ers. But I don't want to be in your group. I just want to help you preach the gospel. I want to encourage you to preach the gospel. And I want you to get outside of your unbiblical standard and embrace people that are not like you but preach the gospel. There are people within an easy drive of this meeting who preach the same gospel that I preach, same gospel that Joseph Allen preaches in this pulpit every Sunday. And they will not drive across this town to sit with you in this meeting because we don't line up with our little Baptist idea. That breaks my heart. But you remember what I said? My responsibility is not correcting their problem. My responsibility is fellowshipping with those that preach the gospel. Friend, that's where it's at. I'll close with one more verse. I know I'm running out of time. I skipped a bunch of stuff. Alan preached it better anyways. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 14 says, Even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. Now why did he say those that preach the gospel? Why didn't he say those that pastor in your church? Some people say we don't support missions unless they're planting a church. Well why doesn't he say those that plant churches should live by the money of churches? Why doesn't he say those that pastor churches should live by that money? Why doesn't he say those that agree with your doctrinal statement should receive that money? Why doesn't he say those with right ecclesiology should be entitled to that money? Why doesn't he say those with the right eschatology should be entitled to that money? I don't want your money. There's a man in Africa right now named Josh Wormley. He's about 80% supported. He's, he's sneaking and being smuggled into Somalia to train pastors. He's got three beautiful kids and a sweet wife. He's not in anybody's box. But he preaches the gospel. If this message has affected you, find Josh Wormley and send him some money.
Brother Harold, what's his doctrinal views? Where does he stand on the return of the Lord? Shut up and go back to the standard. He's preaching the gospel. But because he's not in some little inner circle getting some money funneled to him by a group of people with an unbiblical standard, he's only got 80% of what he needs to live on. Men, we ought to fellowship and hold dear and stand shoulder to shoulder with those who preach the gospel. Our fellowship must be on a biblical gospel. I said I'd go five minutes over in a line. If a man will go out into his town, his community, his church, and he'll say there is a sovereign God in heaven who has ordered all things, who declared the end from the beginning, and this God sent his only begotten Son unto the earth, who suffered and bled and died at the hands of wicked men, being without sin, having no fault found in him, being born of a virgin with no sin nature, living a perfect holy life, so that he, he came, God became a man, so that he could identify with man, yet without sin, so he could redeem man. And this God subjected himself to the death on the cross, where he stretched out and bled and died to redeem his own people from their sin. And when he died on that cross, the Lord laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He bore our sins on the cross. And we know that he bore our sins and overcame death, hell, and the grave. Because three days later, this same Jesus that died on the cross rose from the grave. Victorious over death to demonstrate to us, not God, to us, that he had bore our sins and won the victory. Then he ascended into heaven where he's seated at the right hand of the Father. I don't know what that does to your eschatology, but it does me good. One of these days he's coming back. The only people that are going to enjoy him are those who recognize themselves a sinner, repent of their sins, cry out to God for mercy, and say, be merciful to me, a sinner. And they trust that what Christ did on the cross was all that was necessary to make them right with God. Because they believe on Christ, God counts them as righteous. Their standing before God is not contingent upon their works, their haircut, the clothes they wear, the confession they keep, the church they attend, where their mission money goes. Their standing before God is because on that cross, Christ paid their debt. God's going to come back and receive them and they're kept by the power of the Holy Spirit. The only reason these dead souls ever rose up and repented and turned to Christ is because Christ sought them first with His Spirit and called them unto Himself and granted them faith and granted them repentance. Good gifts of God. Man, if you've got a guy preaching that, you can't go across town to shake his hand, have dinner with him. Shame on you. Shame on you. Well, Brother Hell, you just don't understand. If he believes that, the Holy Spirit of God dwells in him. That's a child of God you're talking about. That's the bride of Christ you're ridiculing over some petty thing. Now if he's in your church, you say, hey buddy, look here, we're a flock. If you want to be here, this is what we got to be. If you don't want to be that, you go over there. We can hold hands at a distance. But if he's over there, 
And you can't have fellowship with him and you can't appreciate him and you can't love him and you can't help him and you can't work with him. Shame on you. You say, Brother Harold, why do you say all this? Because I've modeled it for 10 years. And it's spreading a little bit. It's happening a little bit. Few people are getting it. But a bunch of them are not. I don't know if we'll be able to do it again next year. I don't know if I'll get to tell you again. But I know it's a problem. I know the Word of God says it. I know that the Bible demonstrates it. I know that I believe it. I know that if we unite over the gospel and we work together for the gospel, we can maintain our differences within our individual congregations. But if we unite hands and work together and encourage one another and put together meetings where we build each other up and send each other out, the Lord Jesus Christ will be glorified on the earth. If we isolate ourselves and sit on our own little cells, You'll receive, you'll receive the just discipline of your Lord for your disobedience and failing to fellowship with the standard of the gospel. I don't want you to be in trouble. I want you to be blessed. And I want you to eat lunch on time. So I'm going to pray for the food. And I'm going to make an announcement. If you got any questions about what I said and you want a sword fight later, just drop them in that box. I'm prepared. Let's pray. Father, I love these men. I love their churches. I love you and the same gospel has saved us both. Lord, help them. Help them to put all the other stuff in its proper place. There's a place for the Southern Baptist Convention. There's a place for the 1689, the BMA, the ABA, the IFB, the King James Version. All of those things, Lord, are, are, are things that should be settled within a local church. Lord, they're not things that should separate churches. If you dwell in the hearts of each of those, we could be any one of those seven churches in Revelation. And we should still be able to work together on the same lampstand because we have the same king, the same gospel, which is our power to evangelize the world. Lord, please reassure these men in their hearts, I love them. I'm not being mean, I'm passionate, I'm blunt. That's just who I am, I love them. I want them to understand what I've learned from Scripture. And I want them to be reassured, not because I've said it, but because your word teaches it. Lord, help them, show them that. Unite us together. Cause us to do more with, with other churches united as they were in the New Testament. I ask it in Jesus' name.